We're uh, turning back to 2 Corinthians and now we're looking at chapter 3 verse 4 through to chapter 4 verse 6. Paul continues talking about the, uh, the confidence that he has in Christ and in the living God. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, We are bold, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of our God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Christ. Peter, we're going to sing again? No, we're going to hear Murray first. Okay. Well, let me let me pray for Murray, and Murray come up, and uh, we'll hear from him. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again that Murray has been able to come to be with us today. Um, we ask that you'll be with him as he speaks, that the words he speaks will be your words to our hearts, and we ask that you'll use him well in your service. Amen. Well, last summer I began to paint the house. It was quite fun, uh, choosing colours, how we would uh, cover over these 1980s blues that uh, shrouded our house. And so uh, you start with enthusiasm and we did our little test pots and you start scraping and scratching and the, the first section looked good. I did a door and a window frame and then other distractions came along. Our oldest son got married. That took time out of summer and we had a few 40, 40 degree days in Geelong. That sort of put me off painting. And uh, little by little as the summer unfolded, I did less and less. And now at the end of summer, I, I think I've done less than a third of the house. And hey, it's a brick house, so I only have to paint the fascia boards and the eaves and a few window frames. So it wasn't real good progress. And I now anticipate that this is a two or three summer job. So I'm losing heart. And I think that's a common experience, not just in house painting, but in all sorts of areas of life and, dare I say it, in Christian life and Christian ministry. Isn't it easy to start with enthusiasm? Isn't it easy to begin things uh, excited about what you're doing and looking forward to how it's going to go, but as time ticks on, it becomes less and less exciting. You bump into problems. You bump into frustrating people. You bump into criticism. You get weary. And you lose heart. It's significant then that chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians begins and ends with Paul saying, we don't lose heart. Look at chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And chapter, uh, verse 16 of the same chapter, therefore we do not lose heart seems to me as we have our second coffee with Paul, it would be uh, very good if we could learn from him what it is that prevents him from losing heart. How many of us in ministry and in Christian life will have times when we, we just want to give up. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We want to sign out and give up. Paul is going to open to us in this passage, stretching back to chapter 3 verse 4, perspectives that will prevent us from losing heart in Christian ministry. And basically Paul's perspective is very simple. 
It's profound but simple. Isn't that the way most truth is? I think most truth is really quite simple, but it's never simplistic. Paul's perspective is this. If we remember and register how glorious new covenant ministry really is, we will never lose heart no matter how tough it is. That's really his overall perspective in this passage. If we can register how glorious new covenant ministry is, we will never lose heart no matter how tough it is. The key then is to to realise that it's glorious, that ministering the gospel, preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel, building people up in the gospel is a glorious work. Now, that word glorious needs some work, doesn't it? It's not a word that we use very regularly. I remember when I was a boy watching a film uh, about the life of Queen Victoria and it was called 60 Glorious Years. You can use the word glorious of a monarch, of someone who's reigned in England for 60 years. I mean, that's glorious. We might use the word of a sunset. You go out and you see just a a magnificent sunset and say, isn't that glorious? You, You may use the word of a bride on her wedding day. She She comes up the aisle and she's scrubbed up really well and she's got this nice little dress on and you say, she just looks glorious. If you're a romantic, you're still saying it to your wife 20, 40 years later. Oh, you look glorious. But uh, there aren't too many things that we call glorious, are there? Glory speaks of radiant brilliance. Glory is radiant brilliance. It's something brilliant, something majestic, something splendid that radiates that splendour and that majesty. And so we particularly speak of the glory of God. God is majestic. God is splendid. God is holy. He's all powerful. And the radiance, the spreading abroad of his majesty and excellence is the making of him glorious. The glory of God is seen in our world. We do not see God, but we see something of his radiance published in this world. You know that in, in the morning you don't have to see the sun to know if the sun has risen. You don't actually have to spot the sun in the sky because as soon as the sun has risen, it radiates light and you, you see everything else in the light of it. And so it is with God. We do not see God, but in this world we see the radiance of God's glory. So we see uh, God's glory in creation. In that glorious sunset or a glorious sunrise, you see a reflection of the glory of God, of his majesty, his power. In the things that God does, in his miracles, in his profound works, we see the radiance of his glory. 
in the word, in the scriptures, we see the glory of God as it's published to us through the written word. And in particular, we see the glory of God in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now, New Covenant ministry is the ministry of preaching Christ, proclaiming Jesus Christ, publishing abroad the good news of what Jesus has done. So when we preach Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory, we are by definition involved in something glorious. It is a glorious thing to proclaim and preach and spread and share the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when you are engaged in gospel ministry, Jesus-focused ministry, two glorious things happen. And these are the two things I want us to dwell on now. The first glorious thing that happens is people are given life, new life, spiritual life, eternal life. Paul in this passage contrasts new covenant ministry with old covenant ministry. The old covenant was the covenant given through the mediator Moses at Mount Sinai. And the old covenant was given amidst a display of great glory. The mountain shook, it smoked. It was a terrifying scene. The people were held at a distance. They weren't allowed to approach the the mountain. Uh, God thundered. It it was a, a frightening and tremendous display of the majesty and the power, the holiness and the authority of God. His glory was revealed. And when Moses descended the mountain, his face shone. His his very face reflected the radiant brilliance of God. He'd been in the presence of God so intimately that his face gleamed. But that was the glory of a covenant that brought death. The old covenant was a covenant that convicted, that convicted people of sin and pronounced condemnation. The, the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai was good, righteous, holy, but it stood as an external code against which people would be measured and always found to be wanting. The old covenant revealed their sinfulness. It showed them that they had fallen short of the glory of God. You know that verse in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what the old covenant, the law, revealed. So it pronounced a death sentence on people. Paul's point in this passage is we have a far more glorious ministry than Moses had because the covenant we minister is a covenant not of death but of life. 
There are a whole series of contrasts between verse 6 and verse 11 in this passage. Just skim through them and look at the contrasts. There's a contrast between the letter and the spirit, between that which kills and that which gives life, between condemnation and righteousness, between glory and surpassing glory, between fading glory and lasting glory. If the ministry that brought death and judgment was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings life and hope and righteousness? And that's the ministry that you and I are engaged in. When we're doing gospel work, we are engaged in a glorious new covenant ministry. We bring people a message of life. We bring to people hope. We bring to people the message that their sins can be forgiven. Yes, the law has exposed their sins. The law pronounces a death sentence on them and then we bring to them the message of Jesus that he has paid the price in full that he's born in his own body and soul the judgment for their sin. And so they can be set free. We bring to people a message of life, of hope, and therefore of joy and of righteousness with God, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ being credited to their account so that when God looks at them, he sees not their sin, but their Saviour. He sees Jesus Christ in all his glorious righteousness. That's the ministry we have. That's what gospel ministry is all about. And it is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage speaks of it being the work of the Spirit to give life. Verse 6. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian ministry is like a balloon with no air in it. You know, a balloon, I could hold up a little balloon, it would just be a saggy little rubbery mess. That's your ministry without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Floppy, saggy. The Holy Spirit breathes life into our words. Here is one of the great wonders and miracles, really, of Christian ministry. We speak ordinary words. That's the way the gospel is spread, isn't it? It's spread by word, word of mouth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Preachers speak, neighbours speak, RE teachers speak, Sunday school teachers speak, Bible study leaders speak. We speak words. And the Holy Spirit takes our words and plants them in people's hearts in such a way that life is planted in their hearts. Ordinary words are made to be life-giving. We we labour to use the best words we can. We try to be articulate. We try to be clear But it doesn't matter how clear or articulate you are, without the Holy Spirit at work, then it will will just 
drop dead, it will be a limp balloon. But the Holy Spirit can take those same words and bring life into people's souls. So what a wonderful thing it is, what a glorious thing it is to speak words of life to people. When ministry, when church life is about rules and regulations and structures and meetings and committees, it is not glorious. True? Amen. But when it is about bringing words of life to people and the Spirit is winging those words into people's hearts and people's uh, lives are being changed and people are being saved, man, that is glorious, is it not? It is a glorious thing to be engaged in gospel ministry. I think that's why Satan ties us up in as many meetings and administrations, arguments and church, as much church politics as possible. Because the, the evil ones are quite happy for you to be churchy. So long as you're not doing gospel ministry. So long as you are arguing about the colour of the carpet and the choice of curtains, where you should meet and how long you should meet for. He, he is very, very obsessed with all those things. He's happy for you to be obsessed with anything that will keep you away from speaking words of life that might be taken up by the Holy Spirit and, and placed in people's hearts in this life-giving way. If you don't want to lose heart in ministry, keep to the main game. And the main game is bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to people in simple words that the Holy Spirit uses. Keep on sharing the good news. That's what I'm saying. Keep on preaching the truth. Keep on opening up the Bible. Keep on bringing messages of life and grace and hope to the people around you. You'll have a glorious ministry. Keep before the people around you the grace of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, the message of freedom from condemnation, God's great plan of redemption. That is the stuff of life-giving ministry. That means we have to make sure that our churches are actually ministering life and not death. It's a travesty to turn the new covenant into a ministry of condemnation and death. But you can do it. You know, some of those of you who are just slightly musically wired will know that you can take a happy tune and put it into a minor key and it sounds totally different. It's the same tune, sort of, but it has a completely different feel when you move from major to minor. I think it's possible to take the gospel message and play it in a minor key. And you're talking about all the same things, but you're talking about it in a way that brings heaviness and guilt and sadness and difficulty instead of life and joy. 
Some churches make the gospel sound more like death than life. Some worship services are more like a funeral than a wedding party. I spoke to a woman a little while ago who said that she could barely face going to church anymore because it made her feel so depressed, so guilty, so often being harangued from the pulpit. That is not glorious. That's burdensome. It's wearying to give and it's wearying to receive. We need ministries that really are new covenant ministries of life. Now, we need to get this right in our thinking. The law still convicts us of sin. We still need to hear of the exceeding blackness of sin. We still need to know our desperate need of a saviour. And so we ought to preach for conviction. We ought to preach so that at times people are squirming in their little seats and their consciences are burning within them. The Holy Spirit brings conviction by the law of God. And then the gospel brings us relief. The gospel brings us hope. And and with it, the gospel brings us joy because it tells us that there's a way for our sins to be dealt with. If you go to a, a jeweller's, you, you might ask to look at some rings. And in some um, jewellers, they they'll put out these little black pieces of cloth to put a ring uh, or a diamond on, because the black cloth will show up the jewellery in all its beauty. In preaching, I need to put out little black pieces of cloth. I need to paint the darkness and then show the gem. Then show the beauty of the gospel message. But I don't want a ministry where all I do is put out black cloths everywhere until the whole jewellery shop is shrouded in black and there's not a, not a beautiful ring to be seen. What are people here in your church? What's the overall tone of the ministry? What do people encounter when they encounter you? What's the overall tone of your life? Are you ministering condemnation? Or life? Are you ministering grief and sorrow? Or joy and hope? New Covenant Ministry is a ministry of life and hope and joy. And when it is that, you have a glorious ministry. It is a glorious thing to bring to people the hope of eternal life. So that's the first thing that Paul is opening up here. Uh, He doesn't lose heart because it's a glorious thing to bring people the light and life and hope of the gospel. 
The second thing about the glory of New Covenant ministry is that it not only gives people life, but it then transforms them completely. This is another glorious part of gospel ministry. The gospel gives us life and then it begins progressively to transform us. Now again, this is earthed in the contrast between the old covenant and the new. When Moses received the covenant on Mount Sinai, as we said before, he was transformed. His his face was changed. It was radiant. But the glory faded. After he'd come down from the mountain, after he'd had some time away from the presence of God, the the radiance of his face would begin to fade. And so we're told that he would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not see the glory fading and lose confidence in him as their mediator. So when he went up before the Lord, he would remove the veil so that he could be sunburnt again. And then he would put the veil over when he would come down so that they would not see the fading glory. He was transformed, but only temporarily. And really, that was symbolic of the whole of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was a covenant of fading glory. The contrast here is between the fading glory of the Old Covenant and the ever-increasing glory of the New Covenant. The New Covenant also has a mediator, one who stands between God and us. The New Covenant mediator is Jesus Christ himself. He is, as we said before, the radiance of God's glory. And his glory is unfading. There was no need for Christ to veil himself so that we would not see the glory fade, for the glory never faded. In fact, New Covenant ministry, Paul tells us, removes the veil, not just from the face of the mediator, but removes the veil from our hearts, removes the veil of understanding so that we come to see the glory of Jesus Christ. God shines his radiant glory right into our hearts. That's what it says Uh, First of all in verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And in chapter 4 and verse 6, God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wonderful imagery for what happens when someone's saved. A veil is removed and they see clearly. They see the glory of God. That glory shone right into their hearts. Paul reminds us in this passage, as he did in the previous passage, that not everyone has the veil removed. Let's move backwards in chapter 4. I just read verse 6. Move backwards to verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
So, so he's saying, as we said in the last uh, session, some people don't receive the message. For some, we said last time, it's the smell of death. Why? Because, changing the imagery, their hearts are veiled. They don't get it. They're blinded spiritually by the evil one. Well, what do we do about that? We just preach the message as plainly as we can. We can't do anything about it. It's actually out of our hands. So I move backwards in the passage again, verses 2 and 3. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So what he's saying is, we just speak the message of the new covenant as plainly and clearly and honestly as we possibly can. If you bump into someone who's spiritually blind and you desperately want them to see it, you can't do anything but just tell them again and wait for the Spirit of God to work. You see, if I write a letter to a blind person, I might think to myself, now now they're blind, so I'm going to make this really colourful and I'm going to write in really big letters and I'll make it as pretty and, and beautiful as possible. It's an utter waste of time. They're blind. They won't see my colour, my pretty pictures, my large print. They cannot see it. Now, our churches, I think, want to be so creative in the way the gospel message is presented because they think that by being creative they will get into people's hearts. They won't. It's only one way you can get into someone's heart. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is pleased to use plain, ordinary words. The Gospel message, unadulterated. So Paul's back to the same point that he was making in chapter 2. To some it's life, to some it's death. We just preach it how it is. Speak it how it is. But now, as you speak the Gospel message, to those for whom the veil has been removed and as they receive the life of Jesus Christ in the gospel, you begin to see something happening in their lives. You begin to see them embark on a process of change. Look at verse 18 now of chapter 3. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Being transformed into his likeness. Literally, being metamorphosized. Have you been metamorphosized? Lovely question, isn't it? You know, metamorphosis, isn't that the word used to describe the change of a caterpillar into a butterfly? It's a radical, total, qualitative change, a massive transformation. 
Butterflies ain't look anything like caterpillars, but that's what they came from. That's the quality of change going on in the life of every Christian person. There's a radical, total, qualitative change going on in the lives of Christian people. If you're a believer in the Lord, you are being metamorphosized. Not in one bang. We don't believe in the big bang theory when it comes to metamorphosis. We are not instantly changed into the glory of Jesus Christ, but we are progressively changed. Verse 18 is saying that. Transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We often speak in theology of progressive sanctification. The progressive process of being made holy. Paul is actually speaking here of progressive glorification. It's not a concept that our theological systems usually speak of, but that's what Paul speaks of, progressive glorification. More and more reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ until one day we are taken from this world, ushered into the presence of Jesus and we will be fully glorified and made to be like him. So ours is not a decreasing glory, a fading glory as Moses was. Ours is an increasing glory through the work of the Holy Spirit. But how does it happen? How are you progressively glorified? How are you metamorphosized? Verse 18 again tells us, and it's in the first part of the verse, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Now I want to change the word. The NIV has reflect, but just about every other translation that you come across will have something like behold the Lord's glory. We who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. As we see Jesus, as we come to know him, as we immerse ourselves in his person, his being, as we meditate on Christ, as Christ fills us by the Spirit, for the Lord is the Spirit, as we are full of Jesus through being full of the Holy Spirit, as we behold Jesus, we are transformed. This is profoundly spiritual and again I I have to criticise contemporary Christianity. We always want to achieve things by programmes, by quick steps, by actions that we can take. We want external things, ways to pray, ways to study the Bible, ways to do this or that which will make us better people. That is not the Bible's perspective. The Bible's perspective is this. 
Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's as you know Jesus and as Jesus lives in you by the power of his Holy Spirit, as you are in him and he is in you, as you cultivate communion and relationship with Jesus, you will be transformed. You can go to church all your life and never be transformed, but you cannot be in Jesus and never be transformed. You cannot have Jesus in you and not be transformed. As you behold him, as you dwell on him, as you commune with him, as you love him, as you say with Paul in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Man, didn't, didn't Paul know Christ? He knew more about Christ than any of us. And he can still say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wants to be immersed in the person of Jesus. And friends, as we are immersed in the person of Jesus, we will be changed. He'll expose sin. He'll knock off the rough rough corners. He'll change our character. He'll change our appetites. He'll change our passions. We'll become different people. We'll grow little by little. Sometimes it'll seem to us like we aren't growing at all because it's hard and it's slow. Someone else looks at us and thinks, man, isn't it wonderful to see how they're growing in the Lord? And that should continue all your life. There's no retirement in sanctification. 65 you can't knock off. I'm sorry, friends. Rudd's just extended to 67 and you still can't knock off. Or 77 or 87 until the day God plucks you from this world. He wants you as a believer to be changing. Are you perfectly like Jesus? Not a head one way around. Are you perfectly like Jesus? If you are not perfectly like Jesus, you still need to change. <laughs> and every day on the face of this earth, we will need to change. How will you change? Not by three steps, seven steps, twelve steps, but by relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what's gospel ministry? It's showing people Jesus. It's helping people, in the words of Hebrews, fix their eyes on Jesus. The problem is it's so hard for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. There's there's so much else for us to fix our eyes on. Sometimes you, you go to someone's place. Sometimes I'll go to someone's place and I'm trying to talk to them and they've got the TV on. I find it really hard to have a conversation here with this person and eyeball them when there's this large screen over here flashing bright colours and make a noise. So I'm constantly diverted. It's just a pull, a magnetic pull away. In our Christian lives, we're trying to focus on Jesus and there's more than a TV screen in the room. There's so much noise so much activity, so many other things going on in life. It's hard for us to focus on Jesus. That's why coming together on a Sunday as a church is just such a blessing and it's stupid not to be there. You need 
to come together with other believers and hear the word of God open and have someone say, look at Jesus. Get your eyes back on him. That's why good evangelicals have this thing called a quiet time. Now I don't care whether it's quiet or noisy, I don't care whether it's in the morning or night, but it's just good to have time in the day when you spend some time with Jesus. We need to have relationship with him. And the work of the gospel amongst Christians is to keep pointing them back to Jesus. Keep showing them his glory, his majesty, his love, his truth. I know a pulpit, there's a pulpit I've preached in, where written on a little bit of paper glued to the pulpit are the words of John 12, 21, which say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. It's what the Greeks said to Philip when they wanted to meet Jesus. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. (laughs) That's really what we should hear our people saying when we minister the gospel to them. You don't really want to see Murray. That's a very disappointing thing to come and see. You don't really want to see your pastor. You want to see Jesus. Paul's saying in this passage, This is the ministry we have. We minister the new covenant. Through the new covenant, people receive life, not condemnation. That's glorious. And through the new covenant, people are just progressively changed until they're ready to be taken to glory. That's glorious. So what he's saying is, that is such a good ministry. I couldn't possibly give it up. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Oh, it's tough. It's very wearying. It's frustrating. Sometimes you can't even see people changing. It seems that they want death and not life. It's hard work. But if you remember what it's really about. How can you give it up? Let me liken it to a parent. (laughs) That too can be weary. That too can be frustrating. They wake in the night when they're little and they don't come home when they're big. They throw temper tantrums or you struggle to connect with them, or you don't understand them. They don't understand you. It can be hard raising children. Many parents will have times when they pull their hair out. But have you ever left a note on the bench saying, Kids, I resign. (laughs) And you're gone. You know, like, (laughs) Well, they come home and that's all they get. You don't resign. You might feel like it. 
<laughs> but you don't resign. You, you can't, can you? You're investing in your child's life. They might drive you to distraction, but you love them. It might be hard and it might cost heaps, but they are your kids. You do it. And it doesn't stop when they leave home, does it? It continues. Christian ministry is the same. It might be hard, it might be frustrating, you might want to give up. Yes, and you might change in areas of ministry from time to time. But how can you give it up? How could you say, I've had enough of the Christian life, I've had enough of serving other people with the gospel, I've had enough of talking to people about Jesus. I resign. No. You can't give up. Gospel ministry is the most glorious work in the world. Doctors can heal people who will get sick again and die one day. Dentists fill teeth, teeth that will chew on more sugar and rot again. Accountants and financial advisors look after money that will eventually be spent. But you share the gospel with people. And when God chooses to work, it gives people life and then it just continually and radically changes and transforms their lives until eventually they're taken up into the very presence of God, made to be like Jesus and reign with him for all eternity. How good is that? Paul says here, when you understand that, you can't give up. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this reminder of how glorious it is to minister the gospel to other people. We often lose sight of how glorious it is. We see the problems, we see discouragements, we get weary. And we have to confess, sometimes we've wanted to give up. But we thank you for this reminder that it's a wonderful thing to bring the gospel to other people, to see them change, to see them receive life and then go on to become increasingly like Jesus. So help us not to lose heart and help us to truly minister Jesus Christ to people. Help us to show them him. And help us to know him. Help us to love Jesus and to walk ever more closely with him. We ask this in his name. Amen.